Hi everyone, and welcome back to Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Madison Ford. I hope you're all doing well, staying safe, and finding some time for magic. <laughs> um, on this episode, I spoke with Ario of Speak Beastie. We talked about the impact of growing up with the Potter series, the magic of the online Potter community, and how the Potter fandom can help you come to terms with your sexual orientation. A quick note before this episode starts, we do have a trigger warning. Uh, there is a discussion of suicide from about 17 minutes and 30 seconds to 21 minutes and 30 seconds. So please take care of yourself and skip along if you don't want to listen. And that timestamp will be noted uh, in the episode summary below. All right, everyone, let's dive in. All right, welcome back to Beyond the Veil, everybody. Today, I will be speaking with Oreo from Speak Beastie. Oreo, welcome to Beyond the Veil. Hello, very nice to be here. Happy to have you. To start off, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Um, so I'm Oreo, or my real name is actually Aurelia. Uh, so Oreo is kind of my nickname. Um, I'm from Germany. So this is a long distance call. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm from Speak BC. That's a Fantastic Beast podcast that MuggleNet has started. Uh, so we talk about all things Fantastic Beast. I also work for MuggleNet. So that's how the two of us have met before um through one of the MuggleNet parties yes um so i'm the standards and procedures coordinator for MuggleNet and also the seo person so uh the nerdiest of nerdy topics i usually oh, describe it absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um and otherwise i uh play basketball uh, which obviously at the moment I don't because there's no basketball. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm supposed to be in England at the moment too, but I'm in Germany because I was supposed to move. But again, can't move with uh, Corona going on. Yep. Um, and I think that probably about sums it up before we go into the very Harry Potter information. Oh, yes. And please let us know all of, <laughs> all of the Harry Potter information. So, like you, I'm a Gryffindor. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Gryffindor bride. Uh, my Patronus is a weasel, which uh, I really like because it's Arthur Weasley's Patronus. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. And also, weasels are very vicious little creatures. <laughs> but they look cute, so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, my uh, wand is unicorn hair with uh, maple. I always forget the length and uh, whatever else. Uh, but I know that's because uh, I think like the wand core and the wood are usually like the most important information. Um, I especially enjoy uh, maple because maple is uh, for the like wanderers and explorers. So that's Ooh. really cool. Yeah, uh, which fits me, uh, I think anyways. Um, my favorite Harry Potter book, uh, unpopular opinion, but Order of the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. um, and my favorite Harry Potter movie is always really hard for me to pick because 
in a way I don't like any of them not to say I hate them I just there's always something that I think is wrong with them mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I usually go with Deathly Hallows 1 because I think that's the one that's truest to the book yeah but yeah, yeah. that's mine too I definitely agree <laughs> yeah they did a good job uh. with that one they should have literally split up more of the books before they split up Deathly Hallows or made longer they, films, really. Especially the long ones, like Goblet of Fire, yeah. Order of the Phoenix. Like, oh my gosh. We would have all watched it. We would have all gone to see 14 movies instead. <laughs> <laughs> we would. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Because um, that's that's really one of the like main things that's wrong with it. There's, there's so much stuff is cut out that kind of i feel like the harry potter vibe that you have from the books doesn't translate into the movies because like the mid the in-between stuff doesn't happen in the films because there's just no time for it yeah definitely the time at the dursleys and like at the end of the year gets glossed over but it's really especially in the books it feels really important that harry is always I don't know. It feels like he's almost lingering between two places sometimes. Yeah. And also, you know, the friendship that he has with Ron and Hermione. Although, yeah. like, quieter, smaller moments. They're not relevant, maybe, in the crater like scheme of things. But that really builds that friendship. Definitely. So much of Ron was missing in the movies. Oh, yeah. Poor still Ron. makes me sad. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, my favorite character is actually... Um, well, I would say Dumbledore, but I also really like Harry. So mm-hmm. those are usually my two. And uh, um, luckily, I get to see Dumbledore now in Fantastic Beasts. So yes. uh, that's a benefit. Also, uh, my opinion, Jude Law is the best Dumbledore of all the Dumbledore versions we've seen so far. So. Oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so um very happy to see more Jude Law in the future. Oh, yeah. Best He's Dumbledore. definitely got that twinkle, that Dumbledore. Yeah. Oh, man. He's great. Yeah. Um, but how did you first come across the Harry Potter series? Um, funnily enough, uh, in a very uh, unfashioned order, um, I remember vaguely that I was nine years old and it was just some sort of holiday break and we all came back from school and I was like, oh, what did you do over the holidays? Um, and everyone was talking about this book they read which was the first Harry Potter book. I had no clue it existed. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't care at that point. But uh, a friend of my dad came by and dropped off some of the cassettes of the third book, the audiobook, uh, but not all of it, because that would have been too easy, just some of it. <laughs> um, so like the first four or something. And he was like, maybe you'd enjoy this. And I was like, okay, cool. And I've listened to like the first four cassettes. And I got the gist that this is not the first book because this clearly referencing to other stuff. But also mm-hmm. it just ends in the middle. It's not the whole thing either. Uh, and that's uh, when my dad was like, oh, I think I have the first book. Because for some reason, someone gave my dad the first book as a gift. My dad didn't oh. enjoy it at all. And he was like, oh, no. I think I have that. So that's how I got into Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> I then started at the beginning, which was helpful. That's so funny. that it was. It's like a wild goose chase to get to the actual beginning of the book in this case. Yeah. 
I mean, the advantage was that I've heard how all the prona- uh, the, the pronunciations were correct, because mm-hmm. in the German versions, almost none of the names were changed. Mm-hmm. So uh, I knew how to say like Dumbledore and Hagrid, whereas other people, uh, especially if you don't know any English, which you wouldn't know at that young of an age, you mm-hmm. just read it as as you'd say it in German. So Dumbledore, for example, would be Dumbledore, which is uh-huh. very different to Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew at least how to pronounce names. <laughs> yes. Oh, better than I was. It took me till Goblet of Fire to know how Hermione was pronounced. Yeah, Hermione is a hard one. They changed that one actually for German, so it's actually oh. slightly easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, yeah, I wouldn't. I I I would totally be with you, Hermione. Before Goblet of Fire, clueless. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that was a tough one. And so you, I guess you read the. Uh, you finally got your hands on the first book, and then from there, did you? Uh, were you able to read the second and the third after that? Um, I uh, not immediately, but fairly, uh, yeah. I think mm-hmm. we always got books for like um, for like school. Uh, like you know, we do school in semesters, so there's like uh, you get like your uh, I don't know, not certificate, but like where your grades are. You slip with where to say what the grades are uh, at like sometime after Christmas and then obviously when the school year ends so every time uh, we would get our um, grades essentially um, if we were doing good we would get a book from our parents Um, so I then get the second Harry Potter book for the next one for that Um, and the third one shortly after probably Easter or something and so I did go fairly fast to through the first four, and then as many others, I had, the first time I had to wait was for the fifth book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. that was that was a new feeling. <laughs> yes, the drought between Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix. We <laughs> know it well. Yeah, and also for me, I'm I'm probably sure it's the same for you. But the first four I've read when I was still in elementary school. So I was mm-hmm. between nine and ten years old, and then by the time the fifth came out, I was I think twelve. Yeah. So I was already in like secondary school, and a lot of things have changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, but I'm really glad I grew up with with you know the way the books came out, because yeah. now when people tell me, you know, the the like six year old started with Harry Potter. They've read all of this, all seven. I'm thinking, oh, but six year old is surely a bit young for the like later books. Yeah, Deathly Hallows. There's a lot of stuff in it. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm actually quite glad that no one had to make the decision of when I read them. I just read them as they came out. So I yeah. grew up with it. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. It was nice the way the pacing worked because I think. 12 is about the year where you're maybe able to deal with the stuff that happens in Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. At least you're slightly better equipped with, with all the things that happen. And yeah. also for me, 12, I was I was like Harry. I was constantly, uh, you know, raging against other people. Mm-hmm. I, yes. it, was, it was the perfect fit in that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's good timing. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, so you mentioned to me that um, the love that you had for the Potter series kind of ended up leading to some conflict in your family. And I wonder what that was kind of, what that experience was like for you. Yeah. So interesting enough, as I said, my dad had the first book and he's read the first book, um, but he didn't enjoy it. And I mean, fair enough. Um, my mom almost instinctively hates it. Not oh. because she ever gave it a shot or anything. She just almost hated it because I loved it so much. Uh, mm. Which, you know, my mom's not a bad person or anything, but um, she just, I think she just thought I should do other things than always rereading Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, there's a point to that. You sh- there's other books, there's other things to do. Um, but uh, it came, it, it was also me and my mom were at especially at 12, um, we were at a um, place where we're just basically fighting daily uh, mm-hmm. about, I don't even remember, I think mostly about school grades and stuff like that. And she basically thinking I wasn't performing well enough. And I had a really hard time adjusting to secondary uh, school. I, w- mm-hmm. I was not doing as well as I was doing in elementary school. I just didn't seem to get the hang of you know, actually studying because elementary school was easy for me. And then I went to secondary school and all of a sudden I was, because in Germany we split schools as to how you perform in elementary school. So we're not all going to the same secondary school. So Mm -hmm. I was really good in elementary school, which meant I could go to like the best secondary school where like the good people from from elementary school go. But that also Mm -hmm. meant all of a sudden I was only surrounded by people who also did really good ele- at elementary school. And we were doing obviously stuff that was much harder to learn because we were expected to be the sort of, I'm not, I don't want to say intelligent because intelligent comes in different sort of ways, but you know, we're supposed to be the smart kids in a, in a way. Um, yeah. But now I was surrounded by all those kids that were also supposed to be the smart kids. And I had a really hard time adjusting to that um and also just you know that school was now a lot tougher there was a lot more subjects to cover there was a lot more to learn and everything was actually learning and not just kind of knowing how to do it um and so me and my mom just continues fighting about everything and how you know a lot of her arguments were like if you not constantly be stuck in in harry potter land essentially and actually pay Mm -hmm. attention to school work and and you you know you put as much dedication on reading harry potter into like your french vocabulary or you know school work you'd be having better grades was essentially her argument Mm -hmm. but also it led for me to like every time i got a bad grade even though i've tried as hard as i could uh I really dreaded going home and saying, hey, I got another C or D or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew she would be yelling at me again. And, uh, you know, for a time, for like a while, I had a fight in me and kind of yelled back. But at some point, I just came to where I was like, yeah, I'm just not good enough. Nothing I do is ever going to be good enough. Because mm-hmm. I like in my mind, I was doing everything correct. I was doing as hard as I could, but it just didn't click. I just didn't get it. Um, 
So that's why I'm saying Raging Harry, that fit mm -hmm. for me because I was raging at that point too. But then also I very quickly spiraled into, into a place where I just kind of gave up. I was like, yeah, let's just get home. Let's endure the, the tirade. Don't yeah. say anything. Just wait till it's over. Go up to your room and then escape into your happy place, essentially. Um, and it, my dad was barely at home, so he didn't really get to like hear all those rents and stuff. Mm -hmm. But both my sisters, I have two younger sisters, um, they were both still in elementary school. So they were having, you know, they were having an easy time. They went to a bit of school and then they played all afternoon and I had to do like homework and studying. Um, so we had already kind of distanced a bit anyway, because I just didn't have as much time to play with them. Um, mm -hmm. But they also really dug into this Harry Potter hate almost. So they made fun of me for always reading Harry Potter. They made fun of me, like, uh, do something else and stuff. But it obviously had the reverse effect. Like, the more they hated on it, the more I just wanted to escape into it. Because I was yeah. like, yeah, those people understand me. There's a yeah. life out there somewhere where there's a magical school, um, where they're having fun, where they don't, for example, there's no parents in Hogwarts. And that, yeah. at that point in time was very appealing to me. Um, but yeah, it, it went on for, I don't even know. It went on for a long time and, uh, eventually I, I got to a point where I was uh, seriously considering ending my life to, um, mm. to a point where I had figured out how I would do it. Um, but also again, Harry Potter, uh, came and saved me because I'm I'm probably I would I wouldn't say I'm slow but I'm sometimes slow on like social stuff like I would have never understood the meaning of you know love of parents for their children without Harry Potter I would have never understood that sort of concept but obviously in Harry Potter a mother dies for her son mm -hmm. you know you have that and through all those like lessons I had in Harry Potter, I understood if I would kill myself, I would, even though I, at that point, I very much wanted to do it to show my mom, you know, how much she hurt me. Mm -hmm. I knew I would destroy the lives of my sisters because I knew if, if they had to grow up with like their bigger sister being dead, that would, that would completely change their lives and potentially, you know, give them depression and all of that sort of stuff so while I wanted to you know in a way while I wanted to of well not wanted while I was pushed to it because of family drama mm -hmm. I also didn't want to do it because of my family yeah um <laughs> and I can't really remember what pulled me out of it I think if essentially or what happened is um by the time I got into seventh grade, I got better grades. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. It's kind of magically. I just understood how it worked. I just, you know, got better at studying. I just, it clicked, essentially. <laughs> I knew what I had to do to get better grades. So I was getting better grades. And obviously, my mom started laying off of me because she had no reason to be mad at me because now I was bringing home the grades that she expected of me. Yeah. Um, 
and also my sister were getting uh into the like tougher school years so now she had to like split her focus more on on those two as well mm-hmm. um so I think it was just a lot of like it just sort of shifted away and um I just want to make it really clear me and my mom get on very well today <laughs> she mm-hmm. um I like as of I think it took us a while but probably from the age of where I was 14 we just kind of never really got that bad ever again and just now we just get on really very well um she doesn't know any of this and I don't want to ever tell her because mm-hmm. I also kind of recognize you know while I don't want to downplay it I was also 12 and if I look back at what cost me so much drama back when I was 12 and if I compared with you know what's going on in my life nowadays I'd be like yeah okay that is just you know that's just not the end of the world so Mm -hmm. I'm really really glad I was able to push through it uh although I really can't say what happened that really changed it other that you know I got better in school and uh I and you know that Harry Potter was there to make me consider not doing it in the first place yeah well I'm I'm really glad that you had the Potter books. Sometimes in those really, those really desperate emotional times, it's it's important to just have that, you know, the one lesson that makes you just kind of hang on a little longer and wait and see, you know. Um, and I'm I'm glad that was there for you. And uh, even though I think sometimes the things that we uh, suffer from when we are younger it's easy to like look back at them now as adults and be like you know why was I bothered by that so much yeah. like, <laughs> you know I think kids like, handle that stuff so differently than adults adults have more capacity and you know I think uh, I just yeah you know I, I think, think probably... your suffering was valid is all I'm saying yeah no I yeah no absolutely I think it's also you know life experience as you grow yeah. older, you've lived through more stuff and you just, as as stupid as it may sound, but you just grow a thicker skin. Mm-hmm. You just get more used more to to things. Definitely. Definitely. It's, it's a, when you're younger, there's also the initial shock of like, you know, when something kind of bad is happening and you haven't experienced it before, it's the first time, which makes it kind of more raw and wounding. Yeah. Also, I just remembered something, and I literally mm-hmm. just remembered something. Um, my cat had died when I was 12. And I think oh. that was, that was, you know, as funny enough, I have a book from when I was born that my mom, I think she got gifted to us, like, here you have, you know, your first daughter and stuff, where you had to fill in, like, who's your uh, who's your siblings and stuff and I didn't have siblings because I was the first one and she put in for a sibling my cat named Felix oh and he was three years older than me uh, so he died at the age of 15 which is a perfectly reasonable age for a cat to die um, mm-hmm. but he's also you know my first loss um, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember that was one of the that was a very hard time obviously 
was also one of the first times that I think my mom just trying to, for a long time probably, generally hugged me and held me. And that was probably one of the things where I realized, okay, she isn't all evil. <laughs> As, mm -hmm. <laughs> because at that point I was really pissed off with her. But she actually just generally wants to, she wants the best for me. She doesn't know how else to tell it to me that I should be doing better at school than yelling at me, which is maybe not the best way to do it. Um, right. So, yeah, I just realized that. What a, it's interesting what a role that plays in. And it makes me curious, just with grief being such a big part of the Harry Potter books, if um, even up until, you know, uh, just Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix at that point in your life. But do you think that the Potter series played into that grieving process for you? I think I was definitely better equipped to handle grief because I mm -hmm. read through through uh, grief, essentially, especially yeah. within the fifth book with Cedric having just died end of the fourth book. Um and I definitely remember knowing that it was the best for my cat at that point because he had he had uh, had um, like a disease and he was in a lot of pain. We had to take him down, but he was literally like crying in pain for like two days straight. Um, and we were just like, yeah, no, we've tried everything with like medications and stuff, and it's not working. So clearly, that is the decision we have to make. Which. Um, it's a difficult decision regardless to make, but um, I think we've, we've all, even my younger sisters knew that we made that decision because we loved that cat and not because we were like fed up with it or anything. Yeah. Um, and we kind of did like a ceremony as a family together. Like he was buried in our like garden and we just kind of did that together as a family. And I remember that being being something that really helped that we said our goodbyes together. Because we've had other cats die afterwards. But I don't think we ever buried them again together. Mm -hmm. I think that was the only one we actually made like a, a sweet little ceremony. I bet that was, I mean, that had to be really impactful and... Um it's you know it's so important to grieve and it's really helpful to grieve together so i'm i'm glad that that was kind of a way to maybe help mend things a little bit for y'all oh yeah i definitely think so because you know it was almost like there had a truce had been called mm -hmm. we were all going through the same thing we've all lost a pet at that point um and you know i mean i i was 12 at that point so that was just you know, the first loss. But even for my parents, they've had that cat for 15 years. Yeah. So, and that, yeah. that, that, you know, I've lost pets since when I was much older and it still hurts a lot <laughs> because they, yes. they are part of your life so much more than you may be prepared to, to even acknowledge at some point. I mean, especially with cats, they strike to be so independent that you'd be like yeah yeah he comes in he comes out he does what he wants mm -hmm. but at the end of the day he was still very much a part of your daily life every day yeah absolutely so 
yeah, when that that uh, stops being the case, it just always hurts. So after that point, um, it's kind of like, I guess, after that, having those difficult feelings um, and dealing with all of that conflict, after that, it seems like the Potter series was kind of always there to help be that escape for you um, when you needed it. And uh, you want to talk about, I guess, after that point, you know, some of the things that happened where Potter has been there for you? Yeah. Yeah, I think done for a long time, things were good in my life, which is, you know, yay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But when, um, so this was long after, even long after the movies had all come out. Um, I was 22 um, and my youngest sister was 18 and she had a near fatal accident, Mm -hmm. um, which meant essentially... She, she was in like intensive care for like two weeks and another like four weeks in hospital after that um and again this was the first time anyone in our family had to go through any of that and I just remember feeling completely unprepared for that you know like mm-hmm. you read stuff in books and stories and where similar things happen to people in in those stories and you'd be like, oh, yeah, I can kind of relate to that. But then you live through it and you'd be like, yeah, that was that I, I wasn't actually prepared at all for that. I mm-hmm. still no, 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 nothing would have prepared for me. What what I felt sitting outside of the like the first night when it happened, we, we had waited for like eight hours till my sister came out of operations. Wow. And until we literally could just get a glimpse before they chucked us out of the hospital because it was like long after midnight. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were just waiting for hours and no one knew what would happen if she would survive, if she wouldn't survive. Uh, no one even in a hospital could tell us because she was literally uh, operated on the whole time. So no one outside of oper- like the operation rooms knew what was happening. So no one could give us any updates. So we were just waiting for hours wow and yeah (laughs) um but luckily everything worked up to be okay just to like Mm. give uh give like spoiler alert um (laughs) um, but i remember that very first night we all just went uh you know we were checked out we've seen uh i've seen like my sister we've seen her and uh she was like all sort of like instruments was like you could barely see anything of her because um i think we could see a bit of her face and the rest was like wrapped up and stuff and there was Mm. like you know the cliche there was like beeping and all the sort of instruments around her and yeah it it felt so surreal like almost walking into a movie set where it's like yeah no this is something i've seen a million times on tv but Mm. it just doesn't compute that this is now real life and yeah. uh, this is very much your sister lying there. Um, so, yeah, we went home and I don't think any of us slept much, if at all, that night. Because mm-hmm. we just didn't know what to do. And I remember I started listening to um, some music from the Harry Potter soundtrack. And that just kind of calmed me down because I was like, okay, whatever's going to happen, I just... I just know there's like good in life and I just, I'm just sure she'll make 
she'll make it, even mm-hmm. though the odds at that point were not in our favor. But I was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay. I just believe that she's she's gonna make it. And uh, I just remember the music from from like that day on. I just listened to some Harry Potter music every day, and it just kind of gave me some sort of like balance almost. Like it was, it was an escape in a different way because I wasn't reading the books or or enjoy, like exploring the story again, but I was just you know hearing the music that reminded me of my happy place, which is essentially Hogwarts, where it's, you know, yeah. my life was going to be okay. And I knew that life for me was going to be okay as well. It's really interesting how um, when you're in such a heightened state of fear and not knowing, like in a situation like that, it's sometimes music is one of the only things that can really um, kind of help us Uh, organize the chaos of anxiety like that and you described it so perfectly where listening to the potter music in a time like that it's just a reminder you know there is a place where everything turns out okay and everything is better and just what a it makes me very happy that that's something that we can use especially in times like right now when things are so scary and uncertain and uh, I'm really glad that you had it during that time because I can't imagine that the fear that y'all were experiencing. Yeah, and I mean, music generally is, I mean, at best is like Dumbledore Cordra says uh, music is the more powerful than anything that we do here. Um, mm. And uh, I've, uh, at that point, I was still playing trumpet. I've, uh, I've played trumpet almost 15 years of my life. And, you know, being part of sitting in like an orchestra and there's like music flowing all around you and you're being part of it. That is just something so magical to me. That is yeah. is is a feeling that since I've stopped playing trumpet, I miss very much being part of mm-hmm. something so magical and cr- almost creating magic in a way. Even though, yeah. I mean, I wasn't the best trumpet player by anything. I just, you know, I enjoyed doing it. Um and and that's probably also why I've always always kind of had an affinity for the for the Harry Potter soundtrack because it's just it's just such great music. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. So during that time, you mostly used the Potter series, or sorry, the uh, the Potter music. And I'm curious um, uh, during other times, you know, how did you use the Potter series? You mentioned um, you'd moved to New Zealand for college. And can you tell us kind of what was going on around then? Yeah. So coincidentally, after the six weeks, my sister had been in hospital. Uh, I will always remember she came out on uh, 3rd of September. My birthday is 5th of September. So Mm. that was will will probably forever be the best birthday gift I've ever had in my life. Um, (laughs) And then I left on the 16th of September to live in New Zealand. Wow. So obviously I had originally planned to like do a lot of like organizing stuff and figuring out what I would look at and for the like traveling bits I was going to do in, in New Zealand. I didn't do any of that. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I still went to New Zealand. And uh, that also meant I kind of 
escape the drama that followed hospital. Because obviously she was out of hospital. That didn't mean she was okay. She had to do like mm-hmm. rehab and stuff. But literally I was not part of it. I was not yeah. physically there. So no one obviously pretty much bothered in, in telling me any details. I still knew how was my sister was and I, we still kept in touch and everything, obviously. But I wasn't there for the daily struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, I was half a world away uh, doing something completely different. <laughs> Um, being awake when my family was asleep and vice versa Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so I had I had a very physical break from everything Um, and I will always remember I bumped into someone from England while I was traveling and he was like so um why are you here who what are you running away from I was like I'm not running (sighs) away from anything he's like oh because everyone you talk to they usually just they ran away from a bad job. They didn't know what to do after school. So they, you know, go on a gap year or they go on a gap year after university because they don't know what to do. So a lot of people, he was like, you meet, they're running away from anything. I was like, I'm not running away from anything. I, this was planned like a year in advance. I'm just doing uh, like a practical work experience I had to do for uni. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm doing that abroad because I always want to go to New Zealand. He was like, oh yeah, cool, cool. And then later on, <laughs> And so I just kept thinking about that. I was like, in a way, it wasn't planned, but in a way, I am running away from the drama that's at home. Yeah. Not, you know, <laughs> planned, but that's essentially what happened. I wasn't there. Um, so uh, I was, uh, and it's probably um, anyone who's ever lived through, through something like that can, can relate. You know, um, you have this sort of sense of, okay, life is actually really short could end any time you just start doing the whole re-evaluation what is important to you and it becomes mm-hmm. probably much more clearer because you know the little struggles that you seem to have before just seem pointless now because you're like yeah but who cares about that right I want to do this or that and that um so I had already that but I was already far away from everything else going on in Germany um in a country I fell in love with pretty much on site. Uh, and I had really, really great colleagues where I worked in New Zealand. Um, so I was just, I was having the best time of my life, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to a point where uh, I dreaded the date that I had to leave the country. I didn't want mm-hmm. to leave. Um, and But the day came. And I remember sitting in a plane and uh, essentially having my first panic attack, not even knowing back then that that was a panic attack what I was having. Um, But literally years later, finding out that that was a panic attack, what I did on that plane, because I just didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go back to all the drama. I didn't want to go back to, to a world almost where I didn't think I fit in anymore. Because I had changed so much in New Zealand. Because, you know, you Mm -hmm. live far away, that changes you. You had just lived through something as dramatic as that, that changes you. And I had almost had the chance to completely reinvent myself in New Zealand. Because there was no one that knew me. No Mm -hmm. one that had any expectations of who I had to be and what I should be doing with my life. To going back home and almost feeling prisoned into this is... You know, I'm going to be surrounded by people who knew me all my life, who have certain expectations, who 
who I left with certain, you know, when I left, this was going to be my life plan. And maybe that is no longer my life plan because I just, I've just changed as a person and they were not part of that journey because I was doing that journey on my own. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming back and, uh, I was really surreal. I was I was definitely very quickly heading into depression. But it's also a lot of times when I talked about things I did in New Zealand, I very quickly realized I was annoying people with it because I was like, oh, but we did that in New Zealand. It was really, and I was really like excited. And everyone else was like, oh, she's talking about New Zealand again. Oh. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they thought it was interesting for a while, but then they got to a point where it was like, all right. New Zealand is New Zealand, we're in Germany now, move on kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I was just, I quickly realized I was so much happier in New Zealand than I'd just ever been in Germany. I was just like, I want to be back there because I just had the luxury of, you know, essentially starting over and no one had expectations for me. And also um, I did my my work experience that was required from university uh, abroad because I had a job in Germany. Um, and literally as I had left for New Zealand, it was kind of the understanding, um, that I would, uh, once I finished uni, I would, uh, working, would be working there full time and potentially even one day take over that business because it was a family owned smaller business. Mm -hmm. And before I left for New Zealand, that was, yes, I definitely 1000%. That's what I want to do with my life. Um, but then after New Zealand, that was definitely 1000% what I did no longer want to do with my life. <laughs> but, you know, I still had plans in place. So I still ended up working there for uh, almost, I think, two years after mm-hmm. I came back. But um, me and my Dan boss had a major falling out. So we went from being very good friends to only talking the necessary stuff mm-hmm. and having a couple of fights. And looking back, some of that even started before then. It started when uh-huh. the accident happened with my sister. And mm-hmm. he just had said some comments and stuff, and I didn't take them very well. And I was like, so that there had already been a sort of rift between us. But then me being away for so long and just seeing how other people live their lives and how other, because obviously that also was my first job. I've never really worked anywhere else. And then in New Zealand, I worked for a completely different organization and seeing how those people work together. I was like, oh, I actually enjoyed how they do it much better than what I knew. Yeah. And uh, I just knew going back, I was like, yeah, that's no longer what I want to do. But I also didn't really know what else to do. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I went uh, job hunting and it it took me, I think, almost a year and a half. That's why I ended up working almost two years for that company to, to find a new job because it was at a time where it was really hard to get a job, especially, you know, how it is. You finished uni, you want to have a job, but everyone wants someone with experience. And you'd be like, yeah, that's not how life works. I can't have <laughs> experience and an education. It's like one or the other. Um, <laughs> so... Um, you know, I send application after application. You get sh- shut down repeatedly. Maybe every what feels like one hundredth time, you maybe even get an interview. 
but then they end up taking someone else with more experience anyway. So um, I was just like, I thought I would never get out. And I'd also moved in back with my parents, um, which was all right. We weren't fighting or anything, but I just felt like I was in a trap that was not going to get out. And everything mm -hmm. was, that was where I was spiraling in like depression. And uh, I just felt like nothing was working out. And then I was probably not too long ago, too far away from just packing up and moving to New Zealand with no plan in place, just other than I want to be in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, but um, something that did help me uh, again was Harry Potter. And I didn't go back to the books again. Like I didn't. I didn't go back to the films either. I was, I was, I needed Harry Potter, but I needed it in a different format. Um, and that's, uh, that's actually when I discovered podcasts. Um, and very specifically, I discovered Alohomora, where they did the, um, global reread of the Harry mm. Potter books. Um, and I discovered a podcast and just very quickly became a hook. And, uh, I think, by the time I discovered it, they probably were already in their fifth book. So I had a lot of catch up to do. Um, I think it took me <laughs> maybe eight months to listen to all of it. I know I caught mm -hmm. up with them when they were doing Deathly Hallows. So, yeah, it took me it took me a while to catch up. But it also introduced me to something else, which I had not heard of before. And that was MuggleNet. Mm -hmm. Um because interesting enough, I I mean, I could have known about it way earlier. Because um, I did have internet access and like a computer when I was 14. But it just never occurred to me to type in Harry Potter and like forum or fan site or anything. I just never did that. So uh, <laughs> here I was in my 20s, only now being introduced to a Harry Potter fan site. Um, and I was being like, where were you all my life? And uh, MuggleNet was like, well, we were right here. You just didn't know about us. <laughs> um, so um, I just quickly became uh, immersed into this new internet um, almost world of Harry Potter. And uh, I remember Kat once on the, uh, on the Alomoro podcast uh, said that they were looking for new people for MuggleNet. And I, um, I tweeted at her, not knowing that she's like the director of MuggleNet. I just tweeted at her and be like, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> how to, how to uh, work for MuggleNet. And she was like, she sent me the link and be like, you can uh, look here for uh, open positions and then apply um, for it. Um, and uh, interesting <laughs> enough, Kat, uh, just I think probably two weeks uh, from when we were recording this, sent me uh, like a tweet, uh, like a Twitter anniversary. Remember this happened four years ago, which, oh. <laughs> was, which was me tweeting at her and being like, hey, <laughs> I want to work for MuggleNet. <laughs> She's like, remember this? I was like, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> it changed my life quite a lot. <laughs> um, so I did end up applying for um, a pos position on the content team um which is essentially the team that keeps the uh website going and uh, puts all the content on the website pages um and the way it was back then i think there wasn't really a play, uh, like 
procedure in place because there was no standards and procedures, uh, which is one of the positions I do now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think it took them almost two months to come back to me. And they had said somewhere on the website, um, if you don't hear back, then we didn't take you because they get mm. so many applications. They don't uh, like respond to anyone. So I was just like, oh, well, I tried. <laughs> didn't work out. Um, you know, I still kept listening to a podcast and, uh, and uh, kind of dreaming of what it would be like to work with like a group of dedicated Harry Potter fans. But um, I, uh, I remember I went to the movies alone uh, to see The Lady in the Van, which mm -hmm. uh, with um, Maggie Smith. Uh, incredible movie and I walked out of the movie and like I said you know pulled out my phone and I was like I got an email from MuggleNet and they were like hey do you still want to work for us we will uh oh. we would like to have you and I was like <laughs> I literally cried on my way home from the from the movies because I was so happy that oh. you know it felt for the first time and in, in a lot of like long months of darkness something was working out for me yeah That was just, I just, I was so, so happy. Um, and I've not, I can say that with uh, with absolute certainty, I've not regretted joining MuggleNet one bit in four years now. <laughs> I'm so. really curious because um, it's, you're making me remember, you know, when I applied and that whole process of waiting and finally getting the email and sobbing and what... What do you think it was that really like gave you gave you that feeling that you wanted to apply because there's a there's a difference between listening to the podcast and then saying okay I want to participate in this community you know what what led the, to that extra step beyond I think it was It was just growing up and not having anyone around me that liked Harry Potter as much as I did. I had mm -hmm. friends who've read it and I have friends who like enjoyed going to the movies with me for like the films. But that was that. I didn't have friends that, you know, like repeatedly read the books and uh, obsessed about every tiny detail and tried to guess where the series was going to go when, you know, we still didn't have all the books. Um, I had, I never had that. And then obviously... Um, uh, at the beginning my family was pretty much all against Potter at some point my sisters had a turnaround and they've read the books since and they've enjoyed it And uh, but they've also never really evolved into the hardcore fan that uh, that I was right. um, so I just never had that person and I know I was probably very annoying to my friends at some point because I could just endlessly talk about harry potter and they were like yeah right we just kind of want to move on from the subject to something else <laughs> um, um and i just i just realized listening to the podcast that there was people out there that literally their job was creating harry potter content mm -hmm. and that those people would be like me that they would be so dedicated to the series that they would volunteer to spend their free time doing a job You know, because it is a it's a proper full job essentially what yeah. you do for Muggle Um 
and and that they you know they would talk about meetups on the podcast and you know those like cons and stuff um which sadly all seem to happen in the u.s um yeah sadly (laughs) far away from me um so i was just like i want to be part of this because this sounds like you know this sounds almost like the family that i never knew i had but now that i've heard it exists i i know i i belong there yeah and what was it like like entering that family for the first time um i was very overexcited <laughs> <laughs> i remember during my uh internship because uh, everyone who joins wagonet has to do like a three-month internship um uh and uh liz uh who was my manager at the time um she uh also lives at the west coast um and so some of the meetings were not like times were middle of the night for me and for the beginning i didn't say anything i just got up in the middle of the night until she got wind of it that you know like 4 p.m for her (laughs) must be like 3 a.m in germany and she's like you just never do that ever again don't get up in the middle of the night (laughs) just tell me we'll find a different time that works for you Um, so I was that level of dedicated I loved it from like the first second um, we did it I also very quickly realized how much work it was because I definitely Mm -hmm. underestimated how much work it was and how many people were behind the scenes because I that's probably why whenever I talk about Magalette to people who don't know about it, I'm just like, yeah, we're like 150 people. And then they just stare at me and be like, oh, I expected <laughs> like five people somewhere. I was like, no, we are like a lot of people yeah. all around the world. <laughs> and there's a lot of work to do because otherwise we wouldn't need 150 people. Right. <laughs> um, I definitely, definitely remember being kind of naive about that when I started um but also um and this is probably a side story but uh when I started was 2016 um and Cursed Child had just hit in uh London and I had Mm. uh I had luckily scored uh Friday 40 tickets which you know those like lottery tickets would then you have to go next week uh and I had two tickets for like I think it was a Saturday um because I just got two tickets. I was like, I'll find someone who goes with me. But none of my German friends wanted to like fly to London the next weekend right. <laughs> to see Harry Potter play. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I have a ticket. And there was uh, uh, another intern that started with me. And she was from England, from London, actually. And uh, we were the only like Europeans in our group. Um, and I was like, hey, um, you know, we don't really know each other but I have like a spare ticket do you want to come with me and she was like <laughs> okay <laughs> um, so uh we met up in London and uh, she said uh she had to convince her mom a bit that uh it's okay to meet up with someone from the internet that you don't really know mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to watch a play uh together for like five hours um, um but we had such a good time and she also still works for Magalet. Um and uh, we've managed to meet up uh, once since. But that was definitely the first Magalet meeting I've ever had in real life with someone. Um, 
and it was just such a joy to just see someone in person and we just gushed about Harry Potter and we quickly found out that we both love Doctor Who as well and then it was just fandom fanatics uh, talking about all things nerdy for like a whole day that's that I is was on such a high joys. after that day <laughs> oh yeah oh. <laughs> anytime you go to something like that like where you meet up with a it is it's like finding long lost family you're like oh my gosh how do we we have so much to talk about but we've never seen each other before <laughs> yeah and it's also so easy to talk with those people because you know we just talk about harry potter that's that's yeah. easy <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah i've i've not regretted working for MuggleNet at all um uh we obviously met through MuggleNet um mm-hmm. in uh was it 2017 yeah it was in florida wasn't it yeah for the 19 yeah. years later event oh um, man yeah, that was my first time and so far only time I've made it to the uh, to the theme parks. Um, mm. And that obviously a very special feeling for those people who haven't managed to go there. You can literally not imagine how much it's going to impact you when you walk into the park and there's just Hogwarts there. And yeah. it's just there and, <laughs> and everything looks like, you know, it's perfect other than it's way too warm because it's in Florida, but... <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you just and then i remember the first time i walked uh because one of the queues go through hogwarts for one of the rides and it just it almost feels like you're doing something forbidden because you go walk into hogwarts and it just feels like you shouldn't be allowed to do that yeah (laughs) you're so right it does feel that way in there (laughs) and you just walk in and be like am i really allowed to be in here and then (laughs) and they have like the decorations and everything you literally feel like you're in Hogwarts and you feel yeah. like if you just take one turn out of the queue and walk off somewhere into a different room you'll end up in the charms class and you have to do homework for charms <laughs> <laughs> that's oh that is absolutely true and that was I'm so glad we got to meet while we were there and what a that was coming together on September 1st on the 19 years later date is something I'll always remember in my Potter experiences. Yeah. It was a special day. It's also for me, uh, after I met with uh, that person in London, I don't think I've had the opportunity since then until 2017 to meet Magalnet people. And then, you know, in like (laughs) a day, I met like half the side. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just at one you're like, oh, so you're that person and you're that person. And you're just like, and you know, there's people like Eric, who's been on the internet for like ages and people know him and he's kind of like famous almost. Mm-hmm. And you just hang out with him and you'd be like, it feels almost surreal. I, th- I think yeah. meeting Eric was almost more surreal than meeting some of the cast members we had for the event. Because by that point, I just listened to him for so long and I remember I listened to Rosie for so long and we ended up sharing a room for one night I was like god I feel like I know you because I've listened to you on Alomara for so long and you feel like (laughs) I know everything about your life and she knew obviously nothing about me (laughs) and I was almost fangirling about her and I think it was probably a bit surreal for her (laughs) but 
you know, Alamora was almost like the gateway I had to Mogolet. So it was, it was just, it was very surreal. And it also was such a joyous, joyous couple of days of uh, that event because you just, you just kind of also, I had the bizarre realization that yes, all those people are as nice as they seem to be in real life. Yes, that is a, you don't expect that, but it really does happen where it's the, the facade, there's not a facade of kindness that everyone really is like that love that comes in the Harry Potter community translates in person too. Yeah, it's definitely something very unique. Working for MuggleNet and speaking from experience, it has a tendency to like be one of those things that can it starts off as just MuggleNet, but then it kind of seeps into the rest of you and can affect all parts of your life. And I'm curious how working at MuggleNet affected your professional life and career. Yeah, I would uh I um I would actually use that a lot as an argument for my mom. When she'd be mm-hmm. like, Why are you doing this? I'd be like, I'm learning so much that I can actually use in my real life job. Mm-hmm. Um and then that that would usually kind of shut her up. But it was it was not something I made up. That was definitely very, very much true. Um obviously uh I had you know, coming back from New Zealand, I had kind of the ambition to find um probably work internationally again, but also just find that sort of uh organization again that that does the sort of vibe I had at a job uh in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that plus, uh, you know, now I was working in my free time in English, um, and to a certain degree that just kept, uh, or ensured that my English wasn't, you know, uh, deteriorating again, because, uh, as it is with, with, uh, other languages, if you don't use them, you'll forget mm-hmm. them. Um, so I had to constantly talk and message and email with people in English now, even though I still, at that point, I had switched jobs, uh, or I ended up switching jobs in, in 2016. Um, and I was doing a slightly more international work, but still not to uh, to the point that I wanted to. Um, but already working for MuggleNet had paid off, because I know I got the job from, um, because I had made experience with MuggleNet, so I had learned some tools and stuff that I then could in the interview say, yeah, I know this, I know how to do this, I know how to do this. They were like, okay. Um, and that's why I got the job. Um, mm. And while that job didn't work out, because uh, it was one of those experiences that I'm slightly glad I made, because it was a very horrible work environment. There was mm. a lot of like, backstabbing literally like someone would I was the only person working in marketing um and someone would ask me to prepare something for them and I'd be like hey uh this is uh this is what I did regarding what you told me to do do you need anything else do you want to make some tweaks you know give me some feedback and instead of giving me feedback they would uh go to the CEO and be like yeah um already I didn't do what I wanted Wow. I was like, um, okay. (laughs) 
how about you talk to me? And uh, I literally said, tell me what we need to change. I mean, right. it's not like I said, this is the only way we're doing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeez. So that that's just one example. And that that um, that was just a general like work environment. I was just uh, not something I was happy with well, at all because it, it's not something um, I enjoy. And also there was a lot, uh, and that's one of the things why I left my first job, um, there was a lot of controlling. Um, I, I'm the type of person that works better when you give me a lot of freedom. When you tell mm -hmm. me, hey, this needs to be done by then and this needs to be done by then, but I'm not going to go check up on you. If you run into like problems, you come to me, but like I'm not going to go be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you not doing this? Um, and I had that at both my first job and that job I had uh, just gotten through MuggleNet essentially, um, where there would constantly be checkups. And it has the effect on me that I just lose any interest. Mm -hmm. The more you control me, the less I'll do for you. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. The more you stand behind my back and look over my shoulder to see what I'm working on, the less inclined I'm doing anything for you. Mm -hmm. um, and it once again got to a point where I was going into fairly dark place. Um, and so I had like, I had the realization that, yeah, I need to get out of this. And I ended up doing a lot of muggle network at that work place because mm -hmm. <laughs> it was it was literally it was like if you control me I'm just not going to do work for you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally um so um I very quickly ended up uh, looking for a new job again um and uh luckily it didn't take as long this time around to find a new job mm -hmm. so um I ended up working where I'm still now working um and uh I've uh, I've described this on multiple occasions. Uh, again, I got this job because of a lot of experience I had from MuggleNet. Um, I describe uh, what I found in this job is what I was looking for after leaving New Zealand. It's obviously not a carbon copy, but like the like in the whole like atmosphere is the same. Mm -hmm. There's obviously there's always going to be hierarchies in a job, but they're not enforced as much at the job that I have at the moment you know mm -hmm. everyone is encouraged to bring ideas to the table and speak up no one's going to be like no 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 you're you're not high enough to come to this meeting mm -hmm. they'll be like no mm -hmm. we want to hear to your ideas um so and that's the sort of thing that I I quite enjoy yeah and that sounds they lovely. give me the freedom <laughs> they'll be like hey <laughs> you do your job and uh, if you run into problems uh, you know where we are mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's also one one cool thing about this job is um, uh, the headquarters are based in England and that's also the reason why I should at the moment be in England but I'm still in Germany um, because mm. uh, I'm actually uh, moving to England um, which uh, is very exciting because yes. uh, I miss living abroad I miss living in a new culture and uh you know, for my parents, it's easier because uh, at least England isn't half a world away. I'm still going right. to be able to visit and they're going to be able to visit me much easier. Um, and uh, it has a huge benefit of being in England, you know, where this uh, thing called Harry Potter uh, takes place. There's a lot yeah. of stuff to look at. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
a lot of my Muggle.net friends are going to be much closer to me now when I'm going to be in England. Um, there's probably going to be more opportunities to do stuff for Muggle.net because I'm going to be in England. Mm-hmm. Because uh, famously, nothing good ever happens in Germany. Um, <laughs> so I'm really excited to go live in England. Um, and I'm just very, very happy because I know if, without Muggle.net, I wouldn't be where I am now. Mm-hmm. And I constantly still to this day, I'll be like, oh, we could do this and this and that in like a work meeting. They'll be like, oh, that's such a good idea. Have you done it before? I was like, yeah, that's how we do a Muggle. And they'll be like, ah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I've done it before. I've done it a million times because that's how we do it. And that's that would be my best practice approach because that's how we do it. And that's the sort of learnings. And that's the way I think we could, you know, use this for our organization mm-hmm. um so yeah i'm uh interesting enough i uh hit my nerdiness a lot when i worked in new zealand so a lot of my friends who i still have from new zealand they they are just now finding out that i'm a huge harry potter nerd whereas i've never hit that with the company i work with now and they just mm-hmm. know i'm a huge harry potter nerd and they've just never told me to stop it they just embrace me for who I am. And they That's are okay so with nice. me doing the occasional Harry Potter reference, even though I'm the only one that understands it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoy it myself then. Um, and they, uh, they've also never made fun of me for like spending like my free time working for MuggleNet because clearly it's, it's had a good effect for them. Yeah. <laughs> definite benefits for everyone (laughs) so um beyond professional life and podcasting and all of that kind of stuff um talked a little bit about um how the potter series and the potter community really um i guess i would love to hear you talk about how you think the potter community may have played in helping you identify and explore your sexual orientation yeah so um i think i'm just gonna say it uh up front i uh, identify as asexual um which i probably had a hinge that that might be a case mm-hmm. for years but i just never chose to look into it because uh you know, the scary things with labels, once you know, you can't unknow. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of chose to ignore it. I was just like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'll find the right person. Um, it'll all make sense eventually. Um, but because, uh, you know, after all the drama with uh, with uh, leaving two jobs that didn't work out right, um, and then finally to, when I started working, where I'm working still, I was just mentally in a really really good place I had everything was gonna working out well um and uh I just finally found the courage to look into it interesting enough I stumbled upon it through fan fiction because I'm a big fan fiction reader Mm -hmm. um and I've uh I've I've I don't know, I don't even remember the fic I read, but I've read some fic where one of the characters was was asexual and was uh, kind of finding out and coming out. Um, And as I was reading that, a lot of like the things that they sort of experienced and why they eventually 
identified as asexual was like, oh, I relate to all of this. Like, this is me. Mm -hmm. All of it. This is exactly me. Um, I was like, okay, so maybe there's a very real possibility that 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 I just identify as asexual as well. But then, you know, I ran away for about two weeks from this. <laughs> I was like, no, no, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna look it up. I'm not gonna look it up. Um, <laughs> you know, not knowing can be blissful. Um, <laughs> to a point where I was just like, yeah, no, I need to know. Um, so, uh, I did the typical, I Googled, uh, asexuality and, uh, what it means and, um, and read all sort of different, like, info material that was very, uh, very good and very helpful, uh, and all seemed to point into the same kind of thing that, uh, that that would actually be what, what I, uh, what I identify with, that that is, that is probably the best thing that describes my uh, sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's like sort of like quizzes that you can do. They say like, do a quiz, see if you're asexual. Um, and I did a couple of them and they all kind of pointed out to, yeah, you probably are asexual. Um, but what I found really annoying, really, really annoying <laughs> was um there's no definitive answer i felt like you know maybe i wasn't maybe this was just now maybe this would end maybe this was just a phase i was just i just wanted there to be like you know yes or no yeah but it isn't like that at all obviously um, <laughs> um and it also you know it takes time to get to get used to that idea even um and so uh it was freaking me out and I wanted mm -hmm. to know and I didn't know what to do and for I think it probably went for like a week but I tried to figure this all out by myself but eventually just ended up crying for like three hours going mm. from points of being why can't I just be normal be to like why maybe this is just all right maybe this is just it's gonna make sense just kind of in between those places I went through all different sort of stages um but I ended up um knowing luckily that I would need to talk to someone um mm -hmm. who would know more about all of this um so uh the person I reached out to and uh very bravely I should say was uh Michael uh, Harley, who's uh, who was a host on Alomaron, who was a host on Beastie, who I had briefly interacted with, but we've I can't say we've been close friends or anything. Like we've been friendly, we've had good conversations and stuff, but we've also not like kept in touch outside of like podcast work or the mm -hmm. like couple of days we spent together in Universal. Um, but I I mean. He uh, has uh, talked about uh, his sexual orientation on podcasts, so I'm sure he'll be fine if I say it. Um, so he's he's gay, so not very much the same as me, but uh, I knew that he had a coming out sort of thing and at a moment, and he would probably be the person who would understand, at least mm -hmm. slightly understand what I was going to go through. So I messaged him, and uh, <laughs> Michael uh, 
again, one of those persons, if you listen or if you have listened to him and you think, wow, he sounds like such a nice guy, he's a hundred times nicer in real life oh. than he even comes across. Um, and he was, yes, yes, no problem. Uh, I'll, uh, let's have a Skype call and you can ask me all the questions. Um, so uh, I had a Skype call and probably aside from what I'm doing right now, this was the hardest conversation I had over the internet, at least, with mm-hmm. someone. Because I remember, because it was fairly late at night, I remember lying in bed and just shivering for an hour through that mm-hmm. conversation. Um, um, but Michael helped a lot. He's, mm-hmm. He told me stories from his life and what he did and what helped him and gave me some pointers and he even uh he even said well look i know a couple of our muggle friends who identify as asexual which you may not have known i know a couple of them will be fine with me telling you that they identify as such so maybe it'd be worth talking to them Mm -hmm. um and uh that has again been very very helpful um it took me a long time to then (laughs) actually reach out to those people Mm -hmm. but um once I did, uh, it, I found it to be very helpful to just talk with someone who uh, had gone through at least slightly the same as I had, mm-hmm. uh, or who, who at least knew. Um, and eventually I had to obviously do the coming out stuff to my family, which is uh, crazy, scary. Um, yeah. You wouldn't think that talking could be so hard it is very hard even though you know i almost think that coming out as asexual is probably slightly easier than coming out let's say as a trans person i think trans person probably is the hardest thing you could come out as Mm -hmm. um not that i want to downplay coming out in any sort of way or form it also comes you know down to what your family is like and i knew my family would be accepting that it would not be an issue I knew that, but it was still so hard to just say it. Um, And coincidentally, which you might have not have guessed, I told my mom first. Um, She was the second person I told after I spoke with Michael. Um, And she immediately hugged me and everything was, you know, it was literally no issue. But um, I think it took me like four months until I told my dad. (laughs) Mm-hmm. and then it took me probably another five months until I told my sisters um, and I had by that point I had even told loads of my closest like internet friends but I still hadn't come out to my sisters oh. <laughs> um, and my dad was the one who eventually I think it was around Easter we were like going for a walk and I had like we talked for a long time and he said don't you think you should tell your sisters? I was like, yeah, I know, but I just don't know how. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it is not an easy conversation. No, it's so hard. Yeah. Um, but luckily, uh, no one I've come out to yet has ever said anything negative. So mm-hmm. um, that was encouraging. And the more I've been telling people, like, I'm not, I don't, like make it a point to tell anyone um 
Like, it's more of a thing if it comes up, I don't hide it. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, the people that I did want to tell, I've already, like, they all know. And now everyone else just, if they find out, they find out. Um, and it's the more you talk about it, the less scary it is. Mm -hmm. And also, like, once you've told the people who you, that you have in that group of, yeah, I want to tell those people, those are obviously the people you care about the most and you care about what they think about you the most. Um, so those are the scary people, essentially, um, <laughs> to talk yeah. to. Um, but once you've you've done that, it was almost easy to tell other people. Mm -hmm. um, and I've... It's probably also because most people, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a German thing um, or if it's just general because asexuality is not just something that's very, you know, prominent in the media or anything. Mm -hmm. Half the people I've told were like, uh, what's it, what is that? <laughs> and then you mm -hmm. actually just end up explaining what it is and how you feel and why, why you identify as asexual. Um, and my uh my best friend in the world uh she's just like yeah so um so you you've never looked at anyone and wanted to kiss them i was like no she's like that is so weird because i've you know to she's like i'm trying to to relate to you but i just can't because obviously that's not the case for me. I was like, yeah, but it's <laughs> equally very hard for me to relate to you because, I mean, it's probably easier for me to relate to you because all the media is all about, you know, find your, like, significant other or, like, love stories exist, you know. Um, right. It's all over TV. It's all over books. It's it's just everywhere. So I think it's probably easier for me to try and relate to um, heteronormative people or gay people, or, you know, people with a sex drive, essentially. Mm -hmm. um compared to those people relating to me because you know i just don't have that and it's very hard to imagine to not have something when it's something you have in your life yeah um, but yeah i i would have probably freaked out if michael hadn't been in my life at that point <laughs> I, I i mean i did already freak out but i would have freaked out more uh, if it weren't to Michael, um, who I wouldn't have known if I didn't uh, find out podcasts were a thing and that there's Harry Potter podcasts out there in the world. Um, and Harry Potter podcasts are the best podcasts, in my opinion. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> we might be biased, but it's definitely <laughs> <Slightly>. true. <laughs> um. So uh, honestly, since, you know, those past four, four years working for Margolet, doesn't, I'm not going to say everything was easy. There's, there's been a time where I was severely depressed again um, last year um, because I was just under so much stress from both work and doing a master degree on side of work and organizing a wedding and organizing a hen party and I don't know what other I mean working three positions at that point in Magalad that was mm. just I was just so close to burning out yeah <laughs> um 
But also, I had friends in the internet. And sometimes talking to your friends on the internet is easier than talking to people face-to-face. Because mm-hmm. it is very common for me that I'll I'll message someone, you know, Felicia, who we've brought up before, who lives in, on the West Coast. Uh, I'll message her during my day. She'll get back sometime at my night. I might be awake for her response. I um, usually mm-hmm. am. But then, like, obviously, then at one point I go to bed and she'll probably message me something. And so I'll wake up next morning to a message from her. So there's no, like, pressure of immediate response almost. Yeah. There's, like, it's totally accepted that there's a delay. Yes. And you can kind of sort out your feelings and your thoughts and come back with a response. And I... I find it very helpful mm-hmm. for me personally because because uh, it gives also vice versa gives me the time to sort out my thoughts and feelings and come up with a response that I think is going to be helpful to a situation. So uh, I find talking to internet people much easier than talking to someone face to face. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> I don't know if that's a specific to when you work online like this with some place like MuggleNet, but it's uh, it, it's very I don't know. There's there's just some of the the fear gets taken away when you have a computer between you, I guess. Yeah, and you know it equips you a lot for quarantine. <laughs> absolutely i uh, feel like i've been preparing for quarantine for years now (laughs) yeah because you know people come up to me like oh how are you holding up with quarantine i was like literally my life has not changed one bit (laughs) no my life my friends were online before yeah they still are now so (laughs) (laughs) i've been training for this (laughs) (laughs) oh silver linings yeah (laughs) i know how to deal with that (laughs) So, um, yeah, uh, I know I've talked a lot about MuggleNet and I know you've put a disclaimer up with the previous episode with this is not a MuggleNet advertising, <laughs> but seriously, if you're out there thinking uh, this MuggleNet thing sounds amazing and it might be something you want to check out, I can absolutely say I've not regretted it. Uh, so maybe it's something that can help someone else out as well. Absolutely. There are MuggleNet and lots of just being part of like a Harry Potter community, I think is a really, really wonderful place that can help people out. But as we approach the end of our time here, I want to know if you have any final words of wisdom, advice, or anything else that you want to share with everyone. I knew this part was going to come and I'm still so unprepared for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Asking you to be profound really on the spot. So no pressure. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, something that I've, uh, I've, I'm still learning and I've very much only started learning these past year, maybe, uh, is to be kind to yourself. And to not expect that you're just going to be able to do something uh, that you've never done before and that, you know, everything is just going to be perfect because 
I don't know, that's just very unrealistic. Um, give yourself time and room to grow and learn and just don't don't put too much pressure on yourself and also something i have business degrees though this is something that's been drilled into me repeatedly set realistic goals mm-hmm. <laughs> don't don't put a goal on you to complete like 10 million tasks in a day when you know that there's no way in hell you can do that uh, and then you're going to feel bad at the end of the day because you didn't do that because it was never realistic for you to do it. Just, you know, do three things that you know you can do in a day and then do another three things the next day. Or, you know, don't. It's also okay to take a break. Yeah. Oh, that is the practical advice that I myself know I always need to hear. <laughs> oh, I I need so. to hear this as well. So. Thank you for that. And thank you for being on the show. I'm, But I really appreciate you sharing all of your stories with us. And just, yeah, it's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you. It's, I can, I, I've said this to you. I was scared shitless when you started this. <laughs> um, it was uh, very, very easy. You've made oh, this uh, a very, yay. very safe space. Uh, and I love your podcast I love hearing all those stories from everyone Um, they've I've I know I should probably go to therapy at some point in my life I'm not 100% there yet but all those stories from all the other people who've talked about their experience with therapy make it seem much more possible for me to do it as well so Mm -hmm. thank you all those brave people who've talked about that absolutely thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible and just uh, for connecting and enriching my life and the lives of everyone who listens. Uh, it's easy to get so sappy so fast when I talk about this podcast, but it, it it's really does. It's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to our interview with Ario. Ario, thank you for sharing your story. Before we go, I wanted to let y'all know that I just published a book of poetry. Um, if you've enjoyed the portions of the show where I speak at length, then you might enjoy reading it. If you're interested, then you can learn more at mythofmadison.com. Thank you all for listening to and supporting Beyond the Veil. As always, it means a lot, and I'm really happy that we have this place where we can share our stories together. Join me next time for another conversation in the Headmaster's office. Take care.